You are listening to the Family Business Podcast, the podcast aimed at delivering insights to help your family business thrive. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and each week I'll be bringing you interviews from family businesses and their advisors from all over the world. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and today we are going to be speaking to Kitty Rosser, who is an associate with a law firm called Burkitts um, up in the Norwich area. And we're going to be talking today about GDPR. Now, if you don't know what this is, you will need to know. Um, It is something that is going to have a, a big impact on UK businesses. Um, And the purpose of today's podcast is to firstly find out what it is and then find out what you as a business should be doing to ensure you're prepared for its arrival. Um, Kitty is an expert in this area, so she'll be able to give us some great insights. Uh, And firstly, Kitty, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Very good to be here. Um, uh, I guess to start off, if you could sort of introduce yourself and, and what you do uh, and a bit of background as to how you've come to do it, and then we can uh, we can get into dissecting what GDPR is. Yeah, certainly. So I'm an associate at Burkitt's, which is a medium-sized commercial firm based in, um, in the East Anglian region. We've got offices in Norwich, Cambridge, Ipswich and Chelmsford. Um, I joined the firm about three years ago, and my background originally was as a general commercial lawyer. Um, I then, after a a few years of practicing, started specializing more heavily in intellectual property law and in IT law, and that really led into data protection law. Um, It was an area that I kept on bumping up against in my day-to-day work, and uh, eventually I got to the point where I thought, well, I really need to... um, become a little better informed in this and um, eight years later I'm now almost entirely uh, specialising in data protection matters. Um, It's been the the introduction of the new law has been quite a a refreshing change from that perspective. Uh, Data protection is an area which hasn't particularly engaged people historically Mm. and with the introduction of this new uh, regulatory regime we are seeing a real sea change in attitudes and in people's willingness to engage and and learn about what the obligations are under the new law, which is a a fantastic uh, advance from my perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that leads us into um, what what actually is GDPR and and, uh, importantly, what does it stand for and who is it going to affect? Okay, so uh, so kind of basics first. GDPR stands for the General Data Protection Regulation. Uh, now, there is a very, very long European name for the regulation, but I won't subject you to it. <laughs> uh, the name that everyone is using is GDPR. Uh-huh. Um, and it is a new European regulation which is going to be coming into effect in, on, on the 25th of May 2018, and it's going to effectively create a, a wholesale replacement of our current data protection laws in the UK uh, and, in fact, in, in all other European member states. Okay. Uh, am I right in thinking that, that this is irrespective of the fact that we've um, decided to leave the EU? 
Yeah, that's completely correct. The form of, uh, of legislation that it takes, it's a European regulation, is a, a type of law which is directly effective on all member states of the European Union. So it doesn't need any form of national implementing legislation. And okay. um, the fact that it's directly effective means that as long as we're actually in the EU, we will continue to be directly bound by it. Okay. Um, so, and in fact, once we leave the European Union, it's now clear that we're either going to be adopting this legislation wholesale into, into our national um, legislation, or we're going to be implementing very equivalent measures, which have substantially the same effect. So, so the law that we're going to be talking about in this session is very much the picture that we're looking at for data protection in the long term. It's not just a, a short-term issue that's only going to be relevant for a year or two. Fine. So the, the upshot of that is it's something that uh, is going to happen and can't be ignored? Absolutely, yeah. Okay, brilliant. So in terms of our current data protection rules and the, the new GDPR rules, what are the key differences that we need to be aware of? Um, so the basic structure and kind of scope and purpose of the law is pretty similar. It's still got the idea of being a balancing act. It's still a bit of law that enables organisations to use people's personal data, which everybody acknowledges they have to do so that they can provide goods and services, um, but balanced against the expectation that individuals quite rightly have that they can exert a degree of control over who has their information and, and what they do with it. Right. So that kind of basic um, approach hasn't changed. So there's quite a lot that will feel familiar in terms of the approach and structure. We've still got kind of data protection principles. We've still got rights for individuals, for example. But what's changed is the, the detail and, and the degree of focus in the law. So we've got things in the GDPR like a really key focus on accountability and transparency, which we don't see in the current law. Okay. We have new concepts like um, data protection by design. We have higher standards of consent. Individuals have enhanced rights. Um, there are greater governance obligations, um, requirement that companies in some cases appoint specific data protection officers. Uh -huh. There'll be impacts on contracts with data processors. And if things go wrong, there's a, a site um, adjustment as well. So much greater emphasis on notifying the regulator if things go a little wrong and um, much enhanced sanction powers for the regulator to impose as well in the, in the form of some uh, fairly hefty fines. Okay, so um, important that businesses get this right rather than um, just assuming that what they have in place at the moment is sufficient. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there are, there are kind of two sides to that, really. Firstly, there's this whole regulatory side and the risk they run of becoming subject to, to sanctions from the regulator. Um, and in fact, also direct action by any individuals that are impacted if they, they breach um, personal data rights. But on the other side of that, there's the kind of reputational side of it as well. We've seen in the press so much coverage recently um, of any data protection breaches that, that arise. Mm -hmm. um, and I think if you're a, a 
consumer and you're wondering who to use, what service provider to use, and you've got uh, various competitors out there in the marketplace, it stands to reason that you're not going to choose the one who has a reputation for, for mishandling personal data and, and putting it out into the, the wider world beyond people's consent and, and expectations. Absolutely. And you mentioned consent, and that, that's quite a... Um it's a small change but also a significant change with the new rules uh, in terms of um, consumer consent um, uh, am I right in thinking people now have to physically opt in to uh, allowing data to be stored rather than having to opt out yeah so the new standard of consent that's set out in the GDPR says that consent has to be freely given specific informed and unambiguous and it has to be given by a statement or a clear affirmative action. Okay. And as you can imagine, there is absolutely heaps of guidance on what those four elements mean in practice. Yeah. But the upshot really is that um, things like opt-out consent are now going to be, it's going to be very, very hard to show that someone who has, has not done something um, has genuinely consented. And in fact, the, the guidance and the law itself specifically says that inactivity, silence or pre-ticked boxes will never be deemed to amount to valid consent under the new law. Right. And there's also there's an additional requirement that you actually record how and when consent was given. So again, recording that consent process if you're relying on an opt-out consent procedure, will be really quite challenging. Yeah. So, so what steps can um, businesses take to, to ensure, not just, I guess, with the, uh, the consent side of things, but in terms of the overall rules, what, what steps can they be taking to ensure that they comply with the new rules? Because uh, we'll get on to the penalties later, but they're, they're not for the faint-hearted. No, I think the, the first step that people need to take is just ensuring that they've, uh, they've educated themselves about what the rules are. So listening to this podcast is a fantastic first step. And mm -hmm. um, beyond that, I would urge people to, to look. There are plenty of free resources out there um, for, for, the, for the taking. So another place to look would be the, the Information Commissioner's Office website, and they have a, a whole area of the site dedicated to data protection reform with really clear user guides and online assessment tools that businesses can use to judge you know, exactly what they need to do and, and where they currently stand. And I think once people have familiarized themselves with the requirements, the next step is to understand what the data landscape looks like within their business. So do some sort of data mapping or data audit process to make sure that you're aware of what data you have in your organization, where, where it's collected and what happens with it, what it's used for, how long you hold it for, and how and when you eventually delete it. Having that really clear picture is going to be really central to meeting some of these new requirements around things like accountability and transparency. And I think then it's a question of identifying for each organisation, which of the, the additional requirements under the new law are really going to impact on them. And so there are a number of things that people will need to do, and that may include updating their data protection notices or fair processing notices, 
having a look at those consent mechanisms that they have in place to make sure that they're achieving the right level of consent and that they're recording it properly. Um, Looking at the way that they're going to provide for the new individual rights. So, for example, there are some change rules around subject access requests. Mm. And organisations are going to need to ensure that they're ready to accommodate those. And I think um, also looking at kind of data governance, what records people have in place, doing a contract review to make sure that any data processing contracts are up to date. Um, and I think for for some as well, maybe looking at do they need to appoint a dedicated data protection officer uh-huh. that's going to, um, to to come in and and be responsible for for overseeing the data handling within the organisation. Okay, and uh, is my understanding right that that that's a necessity for for businesses of a certain size that, that they need to have a an appointed data protection officer? The data protection officer it is it's mandatory for some, but it's not based strictly on size. Ah, okay. Um, it's, it's determined by the type of of data processing that you do. So it's a mandatory requirement for any public authority. And for for private companies, it's going to be a mandatory requirement if as part of their main purpose or business function, they are processing lots of very sensitive data or they're doing kind of regular monitoring or profiling type activities mm-hmm. on a very large scale. Okay. So um, it, it's, you may have a very small business, but because of the nature of its activities, it's processing a lot of data. So it would be just as a subject to this requirement to appoint a DPO as a, a much larger organization. Okay. Um, so, so obviously there's existing data protection rules out there and so there'll be companies that have um as most will have if not all uh data that that they already hold is there any retrospective kind of permission required in order to continue to hold that or is is that just subject to the old rules um with the main impact on this really is consent so if you have consent from people for example to send the marketing materials then organisations will need to use the time that they have between now and next May to review the consent that they've got and make sure that it meets those requirements that we mentioned earlier. Okay, so physical opt-in. Yeah, so they will need to make sure that they've updated the consent standards and that they've properly recorded consent. Right. um, And use the time that they have until this actually comes into full effect to, to achieve that. Um, beyond that, I think it's really just a question of um, of dealing with the, the governance side for, for most entities. Uh-huh. Um, so the, the kind of record keeping, the policy and procedural side. And I'm guessing that there's not going to be much in the way of excuses for, for not doing this. Um, so so it, you talk about sort of data protection governance. Um, do you have any examples of, of good and perhaps poor governance that um, might uh, give some insight to our listeners as to, to what their requirements might be? Um, the, the governance rules under the new laws are certainly a lot stricter. So um, under the new laws, there's, for example, 
this accountability principle which requires that all of those good data handling practices and procedures that organisations have now need to be written down so that you can actually demonstrate how you are complying with your data protection obligations. So an example of how that will impact, um, I had uh, a case a couple of years ago, a client that ran an e-commerce platform that suffered a cyber breach. Uh, so someone hacked into the platform and um, tried to extract from it some information about the client's customer base. Okay. Now, that client had very good practices that were followed, but they didn't have them written down and recorded. Right. And at that point, because we were able to satisfy the regulator that even though these practices weren't written down, they were absolutely implemented and they were followed by all of the staff, the client didn't suffer any sort of enforcement action. Um, the regulator accepted that, you know, this was a breach that was completely outside of the client's control and it was doing everything that it reasonably could have done to, to keep its data safe. Now, under the new law, in that same scenario, in addition to any issues around kind of security breaches because the platform had been accessed in the first place, if the client were to turn around and say to the regulator, well, I don't actually have any of my policies or procedures written down, I haven't recorded any of them, that would, in addition, be a breach of the new accountability principle that specifically states that you do now have to keep much more detailed records of your policies and procedures and your um, data processing activities. Wow. So, so that's um, potentially quite a, a big area for businesses to focus on then if... Um if they haven't got those processes documented, now's the time to do it. Yeah, absolutely. But for many businesses, there's not actually going to be a change in practice or procedure. Uh -huh. It's just because I, most of the businesses that I speak to in practice are, are pretty aware of, of good data handling measures um, and most have you know, appropriate measures in place. It's just going to be setting aside the time to make sure that they've, they've written everything down and, uh, and that they're able to demonstrate that they have those practices um, and that they've kept the appropriate records. Excellent. Okay. And you touched on it earlier about the, the fact that there's some pretty hefty penalties for, for non-compliance. Um, can you run through those and, and explain um, what, what businesses may be looking at if things do um, take a turn for the worse? Yeah, of course. So at the, at the lighter end, the regulator, particularly in the UK, has a very strong focus on education and prevention. So for the majority of breaches, the kind of powers that the regulator would be looking to implement would be the, the rights it has to, for example, investigate a breach, to require a company cooperate in providing information. Um, and if it feels that something's going a little wrong, it may, for example, impose undertakings or serve an enforcement notice asking the company to address its shortfallings. Mm -hmm. Now, at the other end of the scale, if, um, if it's kind of after the event, as it were, if there has been a serious breach and it's caused people some, some real genuine harm, and it's a result of a company either not really bothering to, to put proper measures in place or even willfully ignoring um, any security issues, for example, uh -huh. then the, the regulator does have 
now very significant fining powers. So they would be able to impose fines in the future of up to either 20 million euro or wow. 4% of global group turnover. So very, very high level yeah. fines. For less, yeah, for less serious breaches, the cap is a little lower at 10 million euro or 2% of global group turnover. Right. But um, I, I do want to emphasize how I, I don't want to scaremonger on uh-huh. this because yeah. I know that there have been a lot of headlines around these fines. Um, and I would just remind people that these are the fines that are they're the caps on the fines. Uh-huh. And these are the caps that apply across the board. So our current caps are set at half a million pounds for a breach. And if we look at, for example, a a significant tech company, which may operate across Europe, um, in fact, beyond Europe, Uh and will deal with millions of different people's data, if they are creating breaches, those breaches have the, the potential to really impact a huge number of people. So the fines that we had under the current law of half a million pounds for a, a, a huge uh, tech company with, with great resources, yeah. those fines are really not going to provide that much of a, a disincentive. Uh-huh. Um, whereas for a, a small company, of course, a fine of, of in the tens of thousands can be a significant issue. Yeah. So whilst the headline numbers are a lot bigger, I think that it's not necessarily going to have a, an immediate impact on, on the smaller sized businesses. Uh-huh. It, it may cause something of an increase in fines, um, but it's worth flagging up that you know there, there is also this aim that a, a fine will be a, a preventative measure, um, it, it will address harm and will act as a a kind of warning to others to to comply. But it's not the aim of the regulator to put people out of business. Uh And in fact, we've seen under the current regime, very recently in the last few months, a couple of fines that were imposed against smaller businesses. And those businesses felt that the level of fines was actually excessive and would genuinely threaten the continuation of the business and they successfully appealed the fines at the information tribunal okay. and were able to draw a, a significant reduction in the level of fine to ensure that actually they weren't going to be at a level that was threatening the very existence or con- continuation of the business. Right. So, so businesses who, who may um, not completely delete uh, data when um, when they're asked to, don't have to be worried about uh, a 20 million euro fine landing on the uh, on the doorstep. No, the, the fines are going to be tied to the the severity and scope of any harm. Still, no. so you're not going to have a very minor breach that only affects a small number of people, um, and find yourself facing a 20 million euro fine and the 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 fines will i think continue to be proportionate albeit it it is entirely possible and and in fact likely that they will be a little higher than we've seen historically right okay um so so they should really the the size of the fine should almost be seen as a a positive in that that it's taking people's data very seriously and, and those big companies whereas 
before it may have been uh, i'm not saying a, a drop in the ocean so much but but um, half a million is not as much as uh, 20 quite obviously so um, it, it's a way of keeping um, big data um, safe i guess yeah i think i think that's right and i think um the smaller companies the that the issue of fines is you know it's easy to to be to exaggerate the the potential risk, it uh-huh. is a risk, um, and companies should have regard to it. But equally, for smaller companies, they need to be aware of, for example, the rights of an individual to claim compensation in the event that there is a data breach which impacts on their data. Okay, so individuals will be able to, um, I guess, like a personal injury claim, put a claim in against uh, an organisation if they feel they been affected um, by a a very small breach yeah absolutely so there is a required there's a a right to claim compensation you don't need to have suffered any sort of tangible harm or financial loss it just needs to have been um, a a breach um, that has caused you some sort of distress or upset and that would give rise to the individual to to bring a claim and one um, that we're seeing for companies at the moment is the potential for kind of larger class action type claims uh-huh. for fairly minor data breaches. The level of compensation that's payable for minor breaches and these kind of individual compensation claims is pretty low. It tends to be certainly within the hundreds of pounds remit rather than the thousands of pounds. Right. But if you look at, um, at scale, for example, if you have a, a class action with a, a database that has maybe been lost with with 20,000 people's details on it. If every one of them is claiming £500 from you by way of compensation, Mm. that quickly becomes a very significant issue for a smaller business. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so so moving on to to sort of the day-to-day operation um, that the businesses will face. At the moment, they deal with with data, and we know that under the new rules, there's going to be um, a physical opt-in needed. But but what's happening in terms of subject access requests, which um, at the moment, companies can uh, impose a charge for, I believe? That's right. So the subject access requests have been... Um, the rules around them have been slightly tightened up to make it easier for individuals to exercise those rights. So under the current law, if an individual would like to access copies of the data that an organisation holds about them, they are generally required to pay a fee of £10 and the company has up to 40 days to then release the information. Under the GDPR, the £10 fee is is going to be abolished, so organisations won't be able to charge a fee at all in the future. And the time limit to actually provide the information is going to be shortened as well, so that's going to go down from 40 days to one month. Okay, so again, businesses will need to make sure they're on top of their um, processes to make sure they don't fall foul of that. Yeah, absolutely. So having a really clear procedure in place, making sure that everybody knows how to actually recognise a subject access request when it comes in. Uh A lot of people aren't aware that any form of written request will count. So it doesn't have to say it's a subject access request. It doesn't even have to refer to data protection. Um, It could simply be a tweet um, or or a comment posted on your, your Facebook account 
um, saying they would like to see a, a copy of their file or a copy of their information. Wow. Okay. Um, and f following on from that, um, individuals will now have a right to have their data removed as well. Um, it, to, to what extent should businesses be planning for that? Because it, it's quite difficult to remove some of the data. It is. So this is what's being referred to as the right to be forgotten. Uh -huh. um, and I think the first thing to, to say is this isn't an unlimited right. So it will only apply in certain circumstances. For example, if a company clearly has no further need for the data, if the, the purpose that they collected it for has, has, has ended, uh, or if, for example, there's been a data breach which has affected that individual. Um, so it's something that you would need to look at to say, OK, in these particular circumstances, has the, the right arisen for that individual to request that their data be deleted? Um, and there are a number of exemptions to it as well. So, for example, if you have a legal obligation to retain records, for maybe accountancy purposes or because it's an employment record that you, you're under an obligation to keep, you wouldn't be required to delete those records. Okay. Likewise, if you're involved in maybe a legal dispute and you're, the data is being used in that context, again, you wouldn't need to, um, to, to, give, to delete data in that situation. Fine. Um, so it's a little bit more limited than the headlines would have you believe. Um, but it is something that organisations should be familiar with. And it's actually something that we are expecting some further guidance on. So it's something if, if uh, organisations are worried about how it may impact on them, they keep their eye on the the Information Commissioner's Office website on that data reform area, then once the guidance is published, there'll be a notice up there and people will be able to have a look at the more detailed guidance and get a slightly deeper understanding about exactly how those rights will be, will be exercised and what their obligations will be. Okay, fantastic. Um, and as you say, there, there is information out there for um, people to... Um, find out more about this. Um, I, I guess the last thing is, uh, are there any um, sort of curveballs or sort of strange anomalies that, that have cropped up as a result of this legislation or is it all fairly sensible? I don't think there are any obvious curveballs. There's nothing in the legislation that kind of defies expectations or, or defies logic as such. There are some provisions that are going to create some interesting challenges, though. One of the most interesting of those is probably the new provisions in relation to children's data. Okay. So if you're providing any online services that are targeted to children, then there's a new requirement that before you start collecting any of the children's data, you obtain parental consent. And on the face of it, that seems fairly sensible. Mm. The sting in the tail, though, is that you also need to make reasonable attempts to, to ensure that it's genuine parental consent. Um, in an online context, it's really challenging yeah. to imagine exactly how a company can go about doing that. So it's going to be interesting to see what kind of creative solutions organisations start coming up with 
to to meet some of these new requirements. Yeah, I can imagine that that they'll need a I don't know a photo of the parent press, pressing the OK button. I guess, or I, I don't know, it's quite I, it's, quite a tricky one to consider. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. And actually, the inform the information commissioner's office announced in July that it's um, launched a grant program. So companies that want to try and develop solutions to meet some of these requirements can now get grants for the, for the work required for that. Um, and they've already, in the first month, given something like 100 grants out wow. because there's just been a huge take-up of this program. So it'd be really interesting to see what comes into the marketplace to help businesses meet some of their new obligations. Yeah, and so if any of our listeners have, have got some good ideas, they can uh, they can go and get some funding to help with it. Absolutely. Brilliant. Okay, I'll get my thinking cap on. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, th- thank you um, very much for your time. Um, that's been a really useful insight from from my perspective. I mean, I, I did spend some time on the Information Commissioner's Office website um, last night, sort of preparing. Um, and I have to say, I have had more exciting evenings, um, but, but there is an awful lot of information there. Um, wh- where can people find out more about you and, uh, and what it is that you do? Um, if they have a look on the Burkitt's website, which is www.burkitts.co.uk, um, they can find out about myself and about the data protection services that we offer. In addition, we have produced a free guide to the data protection regulation, okay. uh, which we're very happy to send out to people. And if anyone would like that, they are absolutely free to email me directly. And that's kitty-rosser at burkitts.co.uk. Um, and just say, can we have a, a copy of your free GDPR guide? And uh, I'll pop one in the post to them. Fantastic. And uh, we'll add those links into the show notes. So um, if people uh, want to, if they're listening in their car or whatever, if they want to go into the show notes, um, we'll have all of those links um, in there. Um, but it is something that I think um, is is going to have a relatively big impact. Uh, and so being prepared is a, um, a very good thing. And uh, there'll be lots of info in the show notes as to how to do that. So um, once again, Kitty, thank you very much for your time. And uh, I'll uh, speak to you again soon. Very welcome. Thank you for having me on. That's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to leave us a review, please feel free to do so on iTunes. If you want to get in touch, you can find out more information at www.fambizpodcast.com. We'll see you again soon.